Bikini Kill here on KUCI's Justice or Justice with Rebel Girl, which is a perfect uh, lead-in to our first topic for today. Bitch Magazine turns 10 years old this month. Bitch Magazine, feminist response to popular culture. Here to talk about Bitch Magazine and uh, about a decade's worth of feminist critique is one of the co-founders of Bitch Magazine, Lisa Jervis. Uh, and she uh, co-founded Bitch Magazine, which is a national nonprofit quarterly magazine offering feminist commentary on our intensely mediated world. She's also a founding board member of the media training and advocacy organization Women in Media and News and editor-at-large of Lip Informed Revolt. Her work has appeared in too many publications to mention, but most importantly, she joins us here on KUCI in Irvine. Lisa, how are you this morning? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us, and congratulations on the success of uh, an idea that uh, popped in your mind at least a decade ago. Well, thanks. Tell uh, tell our listeners, if you will, let's let's back up. Tell them what is Bitch Magazine. Well, Bitch is, um, as our subtitle says, it's feminist response to pop culture, and basically we analyze everything um, from a feminist perspective, and that's, you know, books, movies, TV, other magazines, um, the advertising industry, but we also take a really broad view of what pop culture is, and, you know, so we also do, you know, we, we talk about trends, but also kind of myths and elements of the popular imagination um, you know, kind of anything that people in general believe to be true, you know, we will say, hey, that's pop culture, and, you know, that's, that's ripe for us um, to talk about. So especially in um, our current cultural climate, you know, media has become an increasingly important way that people understand the world around them with um, kind of an increasing number of media outlets. So really, you know, pop culture is, is kind of everything. And and it's it's interesting that uh, you know you, you mentioned that there, there needs to be or there needed to be this reminder that it's it's pop culture it, it's not reality and yet it seems that the trend has been to increasingly refer to popular culture as reality if we talk about these so-called you know real world programs or reality television. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, reality TV in most cases could not be further from actual reality. I mean, it's it's evident just even when you talk about, you know, reality TV is very, very different from a documentary. Um, and just in the, the the feeling of those two different genres really highlights how, how reality TV is completely unreal and really it's just, um, it's a totally manipulated and kind of constructed scenario that, producers think is going to be titillating for viewers, and so they put it together, you know, for maximum effect and drama and, you know, interpersonal explosions. Sure. <laughs> reality TV is like being a little bit pregnant. You, you can't have it both ways. You either, <laughs> exactly. You're either reality or your television. Well, you know, 10 years you think, wow, yeah, that's, that's really great, and uh, boy, you must have, have seen a lot, and we can understand the need, until you, you subtract 10 years and you say, okay, so... It started in, what, 1996? 96, mm hmm Okay, and I think a lot of listeners might say, well, what was going on in 1996? Most people would think that, you know, a, a magazine like Bitch Magazine would, would need to be founded in uh, 1976 or, or even, you know, during the Reagan era, 1986. 
What was the motivation for this kind of magazine in 1996 when listeners probably assumed that everything was, you know, was hunky-dory? We were certainly under uh, a less conservative, though I'm certainly not going to call it a liberal, yeah. a less conservative uh, <laughs> administration, though, of course, we did have the, uh, the Republican Congressional Revolution. So, yeah. uh, Mike, what was going on at the time that led to the founding of the magazine? Well, most straightforwardly, as far as, you know, why was the magazine founded in 96 instead of 76 or 86 um, or, you know, 2000, the answer to that is really that Andy Zeisler, my co-founder, and I had just graduated from college and were sitting around thinking about a lot of stuff in 96, you know, and that in 86, we were a little too young, and in 76, we were way too young. Yeah, that, that might be a little tough. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, although, hey, it's it would be really great to have said that, you know, I founded this magazine at four years old, but, you know, that would be, yeah, that'd be a little funny. But, but I mean, was there an event other than graduating that, that, I mean, what were your thoughts at the time? What were you reacting to? Well, really, I mean, both Andy and I had kind of this lifelong love-hate relationship with magazines. I think that was one of the primary things, that we'd both grown up on, um, glossy women's magazines and glossy teen girl magazines. And um, even at the time that we were really immersed in reading them, we knew that something was wrong with them. You know, something was wrong with what they were telling us about what it meant to be a girl, you know, what we were supposed to care about, what we were supposed to spend our time doing, you know, which according to those magazines was pretty much, you know, you're supposed to care about boys, you're supposed to spend your time learning how to apply makeup and thinking about what you're going to wear to the prom, you know, in the case of the teen magazines. And the women's magazines had a little bit of a broader scope, but frankly, most of them not much, you know. And I, I think that's an area where we have seen some improvement, actually, over the last 10 years. But so we'd, we'd grown up, you know, thinking about all that stuff and, um, you know, also watching a lot of TV, going to a lot of movies, really... Um, you know, really kind of loving and hating so many elements of pop culture at the same time. And we were just kind of sitting around our apartment. You know, we were out of school for a year, working our not-so-compelling um, retail jobs and, you know, trying to have this creative life kind of on the side. Andy was a painter. I was um, supposedly a fiction writer. And it just wasn't going well, you know, and I, I realized pretty quickly that the reason that it wasn't going well was because I didn't actually want to be writing fiction. I wanted to be writing responses to all this stuff that I was seeing around me, you know, the ridiculous, like, little, you know, breathy-voiced girly girls on 90210 who were kind of supposed to be smart, but then, you know, they always fell apart kind of in the face of, you know, romantic whatever, um, and, um, you know, stuff like that. And so Andy and I spent a lot of time discussing that stuff, and we realized, like, it's not enough to talk to each other about it anymore. You know, and if we're this obsessed with these things, then maybe other people are too. And, you know, we want to have a public forum for this. Um, and we kind of looked around and saw that there was this vibrant self-publishing scene. You know, people were doing zines all over the place. And so if other people were doing it, then we could probably do it too. And plus the fact that, you know, the kinds of stuff that we wanted to talk about, um, a lot of it did have to do with how 
advertisers affect the content of media in a, in a really negative way. So we were kind of like, hmm, if we want to write about this, chances are no other magazine is going to want to publish it. Um, and plus, you know, I mean, we, we were just these two kids right out of school. I mean, you, you know, you kind of have to have some, some kind of credentials, you know, to be writing about stuff for a major magazine. So we're like, well, if we want to see it published, we're going to have to do it ourselves. There you go. Well, what what better way than to uh, maintain you know editorial control and uh, you know to help shape the the vision of the magazine? We're speaking with uh, Lisa Jervis. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Mm -hmm. Okay, and she is uh, one of the co-founders uh, of Bitch Feminist Response to Pop Culture. Now, I, I I'm trying to imagine the uh, the discussion group where y'all sat around and tried to figure out the title. For your uh, for your new publication, recognizing of course that uh, the FCC is uh, possibly listening, tell us what were some of the other uh, suggestions for for the title of the magazine. Well, it's fine. We d actually didn't have any other potential titles that were on the you know on the list of seven words. So you know, there's nothing that uh, will get us in trouble if I say it. Um, Really, it's funny. The, I get asked this question all the time, not surprisingly, and the fact is I can't really remember exactly how the name came about. It just kind of was, really, is, is how it seems. That we knew, we knew, obviously, that um, we were taking a risk in, <clears throat> excuse me, in calling the magazine Bitch, but it seemed like it was like, well, we can either call it Bitch or we can call it something, you know, really more on the boring side, like feminist media critic, which didn't really seem to us like it would be that compelling to a new reader to pick up, you know, frankly. Um, we figured we want something that is going to demonstrate right off the bat that, you know, we are, we're serious, we're not afraid to offend people, um, we're opinionated, and, you know, we're, we're going to be loud about that. And bitch really, um, really demonstrates all those things. I mean, no one is going to pick up the magazine and then, you know, maybe be offended by some of the harsh critiques we have inside because it's like, you know. It, it's a warning. Be forewarned. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also we really love the, um, both the, the activist component of it. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's also a verb, like you bitch about something, um, you know, and women who are opinionated and strong-minded and won't back down from their opinions are called bitches. And we're like, well, you know, I do have an opinion, and if that makes me a bitch, so be it. That's great. And, you know? of course, when, when the male counterpart engages in that kind of behavior, they're, they're business savvy or they're, they're pioneering or they're, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, tenacious or whatever it is. Exactly. When, when a woman engages in that kind of, uh, you, you know, advocacy, then uh, she's considered a bitch. Mm -hmm. But was was it the irony lost on some some people, or or, or the, maybe not? Maybe irony is not the right word. But did yeah. did people get the message? For the most part, yes. I mean, I think we were actually pleasantly surprised in the beginning by how few people didn't really understand what we were trying to do, and kind of you know were upset by the name, or you know had to had to have it really you know explained in detail, but. 
I, I think we were just expecting a lot more of that negative reaction. But there are there are a fair number of people, and I you know I have sympathy. Like sometimes you know we are all on the language reclamation tip, and you know we love that we've been able to transform the word a little bit. But um, there are some people who have associations with it that just you know it's they can't they can't get past the fact that they still do find it an offensive term, no matter what kind of explanation we have about you know, the reasons for choosing it. And um, and that's unfortunate because I think, you know, we have had some readers say, you know, I really, I love the content that you do, but I just, I can't buy your magazine. I just, I can't, you know, I really, really hate the name that much. And, um, and you know, we just have to let that go, unfortunately. Um, and sometimes, you know, we get irate calls and people just want to yell at us and be like, don't you understand? You know, you have no idea what you're doing. And it's like, no, you know, we, we thought a lot about it. You know, I think that sometimes people have this initial reaction where they assume that, that we didn't put any thought to it and we just chose it, you know, kind of because it sounded funny. I, I don't know. I don't know why people would think that we didn't put a lot of thought into it. But, sure. um, you know, and when someone just wants to call to yell at us and not listen to our explanation um, and our theory kind of behind why we chose the name, it's like, well, I, I can do nothing for you. Right. If, if, if they're not open-minded enough about the title... They're not going to be very open-minded about the content underneath it. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I, you know, and I think it's interesting, the whole idea of, you know, language reclamation. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, the vagina monologues, which certainly tries to, you know, reclaim ownership of, of the terms describing a woman's body and, and change its, its connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I certainly think that uh, a magazine like, uh, you know, like, like a, with a title like Bitch does, uh, does the same. It kind of follows in Taking Back the Night. It's Taking Back the Term. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's uh, definitely, definitely what we were after. I mean, there's also, you know, there's a long history of language reclamation in pretty much every social justice movement. I mean, in, um, in the queer movement, you know, obviously, I mean, queer is a term that has been, I think, thoroughly reclaimed now. And um, in the black power movement, language reclamation, you know, pretty big. So it's there's a really long history sure. of taking those words back. Well, let's take a look at 10 years of bitch. I've got the uh, the 10th anniversary issue, and it's mm-hmm. got a little uh, uh, photograph, facsimile, of the premiere issue. And uh, some of the things that you were talking about, advertising, the good, the bad, uh, what is it, the good, the bad, the, the, the shoot. Shoot your TV. The I shoot your television. There, there, there it is, right? And, uh, you know, special section, sassy sucks. And then one that really absolutely boggles my mind, plus John Travolta. What was yeah. that all about? <laughs> um, well, what we had back then, um, I'll... I will, I'll satisfy your John Travolta curiosity right up front. Um, because Andy and I were both so steeped in reading magazines and magazine conventions, we really wanted to structure a bitch like an actual magazine with like a front of the book section with, you know, short little things and then kind of a back page coda. You know, a lot of magazines have something just like funny and ephemeral on their back page and we decided that we would do that with... Um, like the cute boy of the, well, I can't say cute boy of the month because um, we weren't coming out every month by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, but you know, we decided we'd write a little, a little appreciation, a little ode to, um, to a man that we like. And the first issue was John Travolta. 
because, you know, the age that we are, you know, Greece came out kind of at a, at a formative moment. Um, I saw it probably eight times, you know, when I was eight years old. And, um, you know, we were just like, John Travolta, we love him, you know, and Pulp Fiction was, what, 94? So, you know, he was really, like, on the comeback trail at that point. Sure. And so we just wrote a lovely little ode to John Travolta. Um, and, um, but that was kind of the the silliest part of the issue, really. Um, but it certainly was fun. And um, other things that we were talking about, um, right around the time we started Bitch was when Sassy Magazine, which I don't know how many listeners are familiar with Sassy, but Sassy was this really fantastic teen magazine that launched, I believe, in 88. And um, it covered a lot of stuff that no other teen magazines would. That One of their very first issues had an article about gay teens. Um, there were articles about, like, you know, why I will never have a nose job, um, you know, what you should know before you choose to lose your virginity, you know, kinds of things that teenage girls really need to hear about, but that most magazines are afraid to touch. And Sassy was pretty immediately subject to a lot of advertiser boycotts, especially because of the Gay Teens article. I mean, that was a huge, um, that was a huge buzzkill for, right. for, like, Kotex. <laughs> and, um, and so... Sassy struggled really valiantly um, for several years, for many years, and put out, you know, a lot of great material while, you know, trying to kind of compromise with the advertisers. But right before, right during the time that we were working on the first issue of Bitch, um, Sassy kind of disappeared from the shelves. And it was like, where is it? Where is it? And then um, it reappeared <laughs> in a totally, totally different, I mean, it looked the same but it was not the same. And what had happened was that um, it had been sold to a different publisher, um, the company that publishes, at the time, that published YM and, oddly enough, Guns and Ammo, um, which was just kind of a funny little tidbit. But basically, the new owners had fired the entire staff and moved the operation from New York to Los Angeles and relaunched it as basically like a totally typical, vapid teen magazine. And it was incredibly, incredibly sad um, because of what Sassy had been. Um, and then just to see it become like everything else was just so painful. What, um, and then what, how had, has the magazine evolved, do you think, over the decade? What, what are some of the, the major issues, you know, going from this initial critique uh, to, you know, 10 years later, what are some of the issues that, uh, that, Bitch Magazine has tackled? Oh, my God. Ten whole years. I mean, we've tackled so many things over the ten years. And really, I mean, the kernel of it remains almost shockingly the same over ten years. I mean, when when we started, we really had our eye on, you know, what what are pop culture messages telling girls about, girls and women, about you know, what they need to think about, what they need to care about, and what are they telling us about feminism, too, because the construction of feminism in pop culture is really inaccurate and damaging. Um, and who's behind those messages, and what is, what's the financial motivation of whoever's pushing that message? And that lens has remained the same over 10 years. Um, but we've certainly expanded. I mean, when we first started 
started writing, we were we were pretty much writing for ourselves. You know, we were like, we want to write the magazine that we want to read. You know, and as the audience grew, we really came to think a lot more about, well, who is our audience and what do they want to hear about? You know, um, but let me see. We have a new well, issue that just hit the stands. Um, well, is there a most uh, um, uh, most, what do you think has been the most controversial piece to have run in those 10 years? Oh, my God. Or at least one that, that, that's notable, that sticks out in your mind as, wow, we, we, really, uh, we really got a reader response on that one. You know, that's, I, I feel ridiculous that I can't actually think of the one, <laughs> the one that would... Um, or is there a favorite that, you know, piece um, or, or issue that just you know, you find memorable? Well, you know, one of my favorite recent issue, and this, in fact, did provoke some response that was really unexpected. Um, last year, we did a masculinity issue, and um, things that were covered in there were um, SpongeBob SquarePants, and, um, and we had um, a series of interviews, um, kind of people with interesting things to say about masculinity interviewing each other, um, like... Amy Richards, the co-author of Manifesta, and she's written a lot about motherhood, interviewing Joe Kelly, the founder of an organization called Dads and Daughters, which is basically like how fathers can support girl children in, um, you know, in kind of growing up healthy, and it's a feminist organization and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I, I thought it was one of the best issues that we'd done Ever. I mean, masculinity is the flip side of the coin of femininity, and if you're looking at, you know, what women are supposed to be in our culture and you're not looking at what men are supposed to be and how, how the rules about masculinity are as confining for men as the rules about femininity are for women, you're really missing half the picture. And, um, and the response from readers, we got a lot of letters saying stuff like, you know, I don't read bitch to hear about men. Why are you talking about this? Like, you know, this is, you know, men get enough ink everywhere else. And, you know, this isn't what I come to you for. And the issue did not sell well on the newsstand. And, you know, people were... Um, People were not that happy with it. I mean, some people were, I think. But, you know, we got, and that was really unexpected because we really thought that our readers kind of understood that, you know, feminism, feminism is not about how does this, you know, how does this relate to women? You know, feminism is about having a gender analysis of the world around you. Yeah. And so, um, it seems like it was misinterpreted as an attempt to provide balance to your publication when it was really an attempt to provide perspective. Exactly, exactly. And just that really, I mean, you know, masculinity is, it's a topic that demands, it demands unpacking, it demands analysis. There's no way, I mean, we're not going to have a feminist transformation of our culture without, without paying as much attention to masculinity as to femininity. I mean, I think that's true. Well, we are unfortunately just about out of time, but I was wondering, uh, in uh, the minute or so we have left, uh, Lisa Jervis, where do you think the magazine will be 10 years from now? What issues will, uh, will Bitch be covering, if, you know, it, it, just in your sense as a, a monitor of the feminist movement and as a monitor of pop culture? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's my, it's my fondest hope that we will be covering a media landscape that's vastly transformed and that, you know, that 
there's, you know, that independent media is really thriving and not kind of under attack all the time and that there is a tremendous diversity of voices and that feminism gets like a fair shake in the media. And, you know, although sadly, I don't think that's true. I think that we will be covering an even more intensely commercialized climate and that we'll be analyzing like crazy new advertising schemes where, you know, advertising messages are projected on the wall of your house. You know, I mean, I think that's something that's really happened over the last 10 years. We've seen advertising increasingly encroach on public space. Um, and, and we've certainly, and it's unfortunate we don't have time to talk about this, but I mean, I think we've certainly seen advertising, uh, I don't even know how to, to talk about, how to, how to characterize it, but uh, anything from the Carl's Jr. ads to the Jack in the Box ads where there's a woman willing to name her child, uh, use her body uh, as an advertising gimmick for Jack in the Box. I don't know if you've seen that commercial. I have not, but I mean, I'm not. But we, I, I, there's this new wave of, of advertisements that uh, do not necessarily portray women in the most favorable light. <laughs> and uh, this particular one is uh, the, this guy offers up his wife's womb uh, to, uh, to name her, her first child after Jack in the Box's new product. And I... I cringe every time I see that. Uh, so, but anyway, yeah. So I, I, I think that you're on to something here about just how advertising has become, you know, a, a mode of life, and how, uh, you know, that might intersect with issues of uh, race, class, and of course, gender. Yeah. Well, uh, the magazine is Bitch: Feminist Response to Pop Culture. It's ten years old. Congratulations on uh, uh, idea taken to. Uh, to great lengths, and uh, we'll definitely have to have you back. Thank you so much for being with us this morning, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Sure. You too.